morning, everyone. If you'll please stand with us.
This is Acts chapter 10. This is Peter preaching, and he says, And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses. 
who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Amen. Amen. We can have forgiveness through the name of Jesus Christ. So we are glad that you're here. While you're standing, welcome those around you. All right, you may return to your seats and be seated. want to welcome you to uh, Northside Baptist Church. We are glad that you're here on this Labor Day weekend. I know you got a little extra time off of school and work, and some people will take that day to travel a little bit, so we want to pray for those who are traveling. But we're glad that you're here. If this is your first time with us, welcome. Uh, we're glad that you're here, excited that you're here, thankful that you're here, that the Lord brought you here, and want to just encourage you and serve you any way that we can. If this is your first time here, maybe first time in a long time, if you would let us know that, we would greatly appreciate that. You can do that a couple different ways. Um, there's a QR code in uh, the bulletin that you can scan, or you can fill out a connection card um, out there in the foyer. Uh, we would greatly appreciate that. Well, we're going to have to call a little bit of an audible uh, this morning. College football kicked off this weekend, and they got to call audibles, and we got to call an audible. Curtis and Ann were here this morning and raring and ready to go, and Miss Ann had to leave, and Curtis had to take her home. Her vertigo kicked in. Uh, Brian wanted you to make sure it was not because of the clapping the last couple weeks. If you were in the church conference meeting this past Sunday, it had nothing to do with the clapping. Though I feel like we maybe need a, a seminar or something on how to clap uh, to songs, which I'm not the one to lead that, by the way. But um, nor do I ever lead you in clapping because I don't know when to clap on beat either. So, but we do want to we do want to say a prayer for them uh, in just a moment. Uh, Anne has dealt with vertigo many many years, and uh, by the grace of God, and she'll even tell you this: very rarely has it ever got her on a Sunday morning, but this time it did, and so they're at home and resting and so just uh, be in prayer so because of that we're not going to do a couple hymns that we usually do the choir still is going to sing but before they sing 
Um, when I sent out the newsletter, if you read those, there was a section in there about Mission Georgia. So Mission Georgia, we are Southern Baptists and we work with other Southern Baptists in Georgia. And so Georgia has five focuses that they focus on during the month of September. So out there at the welcome desk, you can pick up one of these um, nice little booklets. It's a way for you to, to pray for some specific things as Georgia Baptists are trying to target a couple areas. And, and you'll see some of these in the video, but the five areas in which they're working to be light in the midst of darkness is childhood literacy, foster care and adoption, human trafficking, refugees and internationals, and then maternity care. So in the month of September, you can pray for those five areas as churches. You know, we're trying to attack some of those things, trying to work through some of those things, even here at Northside with the Pregnancy Center and other ways that we're just trying to make a difference in the community. So check out this video, and then I'll pray, and then the choir is going to sing. Our main focus is to give clothing and support to foster children. I learned about Read Georgia through a conference that we went to. Over the last several years, students have had a heart for human trafficking. We realized there's a lot of ladies who, who've made some mistakes in the past, and it's just eating them up inside. God's brought us, people from across the world, as refugees. They don't know where some of their family members might be. Or they were tired. They were tired of carrying around that secret. We don't know where most of our donations come from. They just magically appear. God had really changed our hearts to live on mission. But guess what? We have some help. The growth that I've seen is just really amazing. I realized that I was forgiven. I was able to see my sin and see the goodness of God in that. If there's ever been a need, a Agape Shop is always provided. It's hard not to tag along when you know somebody believes in what they're doing. Girls are writing like encouraging notes and like decorating bags. They really opened the door for us to really build the rapport and start their journey of healing. They're going to become better citizens. Better citizens are going to become a better community. These kids knew these people loved them. They can't turn to the church. Where, where else are they going to turn? Here in the community, you have a lot of opportunity to do all kinds of ministry. God is pursuing people, and he is wanting to use his church if we're just willing to say yes. Open your eyes and see what's around you, and when you're willing, something will definitely fall into your hands. And if you're saying, I can't do that, you're the exact person that God wants because he can do it through you. Man, I love that last thing. I'll add to that. If you ever think, man, somebody should step up and, and do that, like there's a need, somebody should do that, maybe the Lord is saying you're the one that's supposed to do that. Everybody be faithful. So a couple of those areas that specifically our church is working towards, one is the maternity care. You know, we do partner with the Coweta Pregnancy Services. Um, that was also in the newsletter um, about that and how you can be uh, praying for them. The other thing is through foster and adoptive care. Right? There are several um, families in this church who have adopted. Um, several of you have maybe had experience with foster care. I don't know if I've ever shared this publicly. I know I've shared it in smaller settings. But Ryan and I in our home just in the last probably three weeks was licensed to be a foster home. It's been a year process. So at some point at any moment, 
I thought it would have already happened by now, but it happened in the Lord's timing. We'll get a call, and our home will be open uh, to fostering, and so you'll see another kid or two at some point with our family. And these are just ways that you can just love on people, pray for them, and ultimately share the gospel with them, because this is about people coming to know the forgiveness of sins that Jesus Christ offers. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, um, and then the choir will, will sing for us this morning. Father, we come to you, and there are so many needs, so many needs in this community. So many needs in this state, so many needs in this country and around the world. And uh, Father, there's so many different areas in which, in which there is darkness and in which we need the light of Jesus Christ to penetrate into those areas, specifically with Mission Georgia, childhood literacy. Um, Lord, we, I think we take that for granted sometimes that there are many kids who are, who are never taught to read. We've seen that really clearly in Ecuador. I mean, many adults who just simply cannot read. And so we're able to put these audio Bibles in their hands so where they can hear the gospel because they can't read the gospel. Father, foster care and adoption, the need just in Georgia alone, so many kids um, sleeping in, in dangerous environments or even having to sleep in hotels with, um, with counselors and social workers because there's no homes for them. Human trafficking, Lord, this seems to... Just continue to increase um, men and women, young girls and young boys being taken, sold into human trafficking. And right here, Father, refugees and internationals, the world is coming to us. And so, Father, we have an incredible opportunity to share the gospel with the world in hopes, Lord, that maybe you will transform and change lives and raise up missionaries, Lord, that would have a heart for their people and their country and even want to go back and share the gospel there where maybe we could not be effective in, in doing that. And then, Father, certainly for maternity care, we, we say we want to be a people who stand for life. And that means, Father, we got to come alongside um, young women, uh, Lord, maybe who are pregnant and struggling with what to do and, Lord, just providing them with wise counsel, biblical counsel, providing them with the opportunity to give life and then being willing to support that. Um, so Lord, help, help Northside to be the church that we need to be. There's many mission partners that, that we have. Um, Lord, some, some of them are here today. And Lord, we pray for them, we support them, we, we thank you for them. And um, Lord, we pray you'll continue to do a great and mighty work through them. Father, we do want to just lift up uh, Curtis and Ann to you. We, we love that sweet couple so much. They have um, given so much to Northside. And Lord, I know from conversations with Ann, this is something that she often thinks about, she's concerned about what happens if she gets sick while she's playing the piano or on a Sunday morning. And Lord, you've been very gracious. And uh, Lord, that has happened very, very few times in their ministry. But Lord, it happened today. And so Father, we pray that you will just help her to feel better quickly. Uh, Lord, that she will uh, recover fully. And uh, Lord, we just pray that this is something that by your grace that she won't have to experience again. Uh, because I know they're bummed and disappointed that they can't be here. But, Lord, we just lift them up to you. We, we love them and are so thankful for them. Father, as the choir sings, as Brian leads them, Lord, use this song, Lord, to, to comfort our hearts. Thank you for the one who comforts us and strengthens us. And we give you all the praise and the glory for that in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. Thank you, choir. Thank you, Brian. All right, at this time, our littles are going out for Children's Church. Our littles, K through second, you're going to stay in here. This morning is the first Sunday of the month. So our K three and four, if you'll make your way out, everybody else, if you'll take your copy of God's Word and turn to Esther chapter 7. We're just flying through this book now, and we'll finish it up probably by the end of September. Esther chapter 7. Surprise! You ever heard that? Surprise! It means to come upon or discover suddenly and unexpectedly. So a little audience participation. Raise your hand if you absolutely love surprises. How many of you love surprises? All right, put your hand down. How many of you hate surprises? Don't like them, can't keep them, right here. Don't like them, can't keep them, don't try to surprise me. I just don't like them. Surprise means, right, the unexpected. So maybe a surprise birthday party that you didn't see coming, or you're having a baby. Surprise, or surprise, it's twins, right? Surprise, you know, surprise, didn't see that coming. Or or maybe you get a raise, like you unexpected, surprise, you just got a raise. Or maybe you're putting on your favorite pair of jeans and you reach into your pocket and you pull out a $20 bill. Surprise, that's a good surprise. Um, sometimes the unexpected, though, is not good. Like getting bad news at the doctor, just blindsided you, you didn't see it coming. Or you get that unexpected phone call in the middle of the night. Or maybe getting laid off. Or maybe putting on those favorite pair of jeans and surprise they don't fit anymore. <laughs> right? Just, it's not good. It's unexpected and you didn't see it coming. We all, every one of us in this room, face the unexpected. And in our text this morning, Esther finally, we've been waiting for this, finally is going to reveal her identity. And it will come as a huge surprise to both the king and to Haman. They do not see this coming. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to work our way through all 10 verses, but we're going to do it slowly. Last week we went through all of it and then we came back and recapped some stuff. So Today what we're going to do is we're going to work our way through. We're going to focus on the three main characters that are in here. Mordecai's not really mentioned. He's one of the main four. First, we're going to look at Esther. Then we're going to look at the king. And then we're going to look at Haman. And so we're going to see how the story unfolds. And then with each of them, we're going to, we're going to take a couple of minutes and kind of pause and try to unpack it and, and, and apply it to our lives. So let's pick up. Let's start with verse 14 because it kind of sets the stage. Esther chapter 6, verse 14. While they were yet talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried to bring Haman to the feast that Esther had prepared. So the king and Haman went into feast with Queen Esther. And on the second day, so just a quick recap. Esther knows she has to go reveal her identity to the king. That she is a Jew, that there's been a decree against her people, that they're to be killed, destroyed, and annihilated. Right, so she, we're waiting, she goes, the king shows her mercy, right? The king asks her, hey, what do you want? What do you need? And she invites him to a feast. That's the first feast. And then when they come to the feast, he asks again, and she says, hey, why don't you come to a feast I'll have for you tomorrow? And then the author kind of stops and zeroes in on Haman, and then we saw chapter 6. And so when we come to chapter 7, it's the next day. It's the second feast, right, that Esther has prepared for them. And on the second day, as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king again said to 
Esther, what is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. So this is the, the third time that the king has now asked Esther, what is your request? What is your wish? And he offers once again up to half of the kingdom. I think he's exaggerating. The point is, I'm going to be gracious. I'm going to be generous. What do you need? And the queen answers. And here's the moment. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be granted me for my wish and my people for my request. The queen answers. The king says, what is your wish? She says, the wish is my life. Spare my life. What is your request, Esther? My request is that you would spare my people's life. Esther then identifies herself with the people. Verse 4. For we have been sold, right? Haman offered the king money. So we've been sold, right? We, for, we've been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, to be annihilated. That language echoes the decree in chapter 3. Right? So we have been sold to be killed, to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent, for our affliction is not to be compared with the loss of the king. It's like she said, hey, king, listen, if you had just sold us into slavery, I wouldn't have said anything. But this is a death warrant, and therefore I've got to say something. Now, in this moment, again, the author doesn't tell us everything. I don't know if the king makes the connection yet. I don't know if the king is making the connection between the decree in chapter 3 and Esther's words because she doesn't say she's a Jew here. She just identifies herself with the people who have been sold, killed, destroyed, and annihilated. I don't know if the king makes the correlation yet. But I'm almost certain Haman probably did. Because it was Haman's idea. Haman knew Mordecai was a Jew. Now, he didn't know the queen was a Jew, but he knew Mordecai was a Jew, and that's who he wanted dead. So I think at this moment, he realizes Esther is a Jew. And Esther is saying, if my people are destroyed, then I will be destroyed. But if my people are spared, then I will be spared. So from chapter 2 to chapter 6, Esther's identity as a Jew has been concealed. And what that means, look, Esther's not innocent in this. There's a lot of God's word and God's law that she would have been disobeying to keep her identity as a Jew hidden. She wasn't following the food laws, the, the sexual moral laws. There's a lot she wasn't following. But she conceals it all. But now she reveals her identity. And in doing that, she is courageously identifying herself with the very people that Haman and the king have decreed to kill. So that's how it starts. So let's pause there for a moment and consider two things. Number one, this is a reminder from last week. In case you were thinking, man, pastor, what did you preach on last week? I'm going to remind you. Number one, God is the hero of this story. We talked about that last week. Chapter six is the turning point. And Esther's not even really mentioned, right? She's either asleep or preparing this feast. We saw that God's the all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing, sovereign creator and sustainer of the world. He is to be feared. He is to be worshipped. He is to be obeyed. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me to accomplish his purposes. 
He is the all-sovereign God who does not need us. Hear me. He existed before you. He can do his work independent of you. He doesn't need you. He's the all-sovereign God. But having said that, let me fix your attention on another very important truth. Although God is the hero of the story of Esther, God does work through the faithful efforts of his people. God didn't need Esther to turn this story around. He did it without her. But Esther has a role to play, and we see God use her right here. And for Esther to be used of God, to identify herself with the people of God, required great courage. To go to this king uninvited and unannounced, and then to acknowledge there has been something she has kept from him this entire time, required great courage. Why? Because this king is a ruthless man. Herodotus, the Greek historian, tells of a man by the name of Pythias. Pythias had five sons, and he goes to this king, Ahasuerus, or King Xerxes, and he requests that the oldest son be released from military service. Pythias had been very generous to the king, had given a lot to the king, and so he just goes to the king and requests, I would like my oldest son to be excused from service. The Herodotus, this historian, tells this story. The king is so mad at the request, he takes Pythias' oldest son, cuts him in two pieces, and makes the army march in between the two pieces. This dude is ruthless. So if you don't think, oh, Esther, no big deal, just go talk to the king. Not a chance. Like she is risking her very life. This takes courage. She is courageously doing what the Lord and what Mordecai is asking her to do. And it requires her to step out in faith. A point of application for you and I, it will require great courage and great faith for you to step out in faith and do what the Lord is calling you to do. Brothers and sisters, to live like light in a dark world is going to require you to be brave and courageous. To abstain from the passions of the flesh in the world, which is 1 Peter, to, to abstain from those passions when the world says, hey, do whatever makes you happy, is going to require courage and faith in 2023. To stand for truth in a world that is falling for every single lie imaginable is going to require you to be strong and courageous. And so here is this woman, this, we believe, godly woman, who for whatever reason, under Mordecai's direction, continued to conceal her identity, now decides, my life's on the line, my people's life is on the line, I've got to speak up, I've got to be courageous, and she does it. And my challenge to you is to be courageous. What is God calling you to do? What is God leading you to do? Listen, it's not always going to be easy. It's going to be hard. It's going to be so hard sometimes that the only way to do it is through the power of God. So in that moment, when God's calling you to do something, remember these three things. All Ps. Remember, number one, God's promise. Whenever God is leading you to do something, remember God's promises. How do you know God's promises? Because you take God's word and you store it up in your heart. If you take God's word and store it in your heart, then in that moment when you need a promise from God because he's asking you to do something difficult, it'll come to you. So remember God's promises. Secondly, remember God's presence. 
this past week and upward. This was, this was the theme for practice, for sharing the gospel, was that God is all-present, that he is omnipresent, that wherever you go, whatever God is calling you to do, if it's in the doctor's office, if it's sitting across from your boss when you think you may lose your job, whatever it may be, you're not alone. The presence of God is with you. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, right, the spirit of God is in you. Like we talk about God's presence being all around because he's all present, but the spirit of God is in you. So you have God with you always. So God's promises, God's presence, and then do not forget God's power. God will never call you to do something and say, oh, good luck. Go figure that out. Now, he will equip you. He will empower you. He will lead you. He will open doors. He will make a way for you to be strong and courageous, just like he does for Esther. So Esther makes her identity known. All right. How in the world is the king going to respond? So let's focus on the king. Verse 5. Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther, Who is he? And where is he? Who has dared to do this? Like that's his first, where is he? Point him out. I got him. Let me know who it is. We'll take care of him. Like who is it? I don't think he's prepared for what she says. And Esther said, a foe and enemy, this wicked Haman. Well, Haman's day has changed quickly. <laughs> Between where we were the day before building the gallows and then having to parade Mordecai through town if you were here last week and then now... She, he's called out. This wicked Haman, then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. Two things about Haman, quickly. Number one, he's identified. He's the man. It's him. And number two, he is now terrified. Why? Because he knows the king too. He is terrified. Verse 7, and the king arose in his wrath from the wine drinking and went into the palace garden. But Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther, for he saw that harm was determined against him by the king. Has anybody ever said to you, hey, man, just go take a walk? Like you're so angry, maybe it's your spouse. Hey, you need to go calm down. Go for a walk. Maybe you've had to tell your teenager, hey, go for a walk. Just maybe after Georgia lost a football game. I know that doesn't happen very much anymore, but like you're just so angry, you gotta just, you gotta go for a walk. You gotta let off some steam. Well, the king's angry, so he takes a walk. The king leaves Esther and Haman, and he goes to the palace garden. Why? Man, I wish the author would tell us, like, what was going on in his mind. But the author doesn't. So I don't think we can say for certainty why he went out to walk in the garden palace. There were probably several thoughts running through the king's mind. But let's consider one possibility. Could it be that when Esther reveals what's going on and he begins to connect the dots, dots could it be that the king realizes I am an epic failure. Like my right-hand man just betrayed me. I trusted him. He was a confidant. I gave him power. He had the signet ring. Man, he just betrayed me. My wife, who I thought I knew but don't know very well, now has a death sentence over her. Like her and her people are going to be killed, destroyed, and annihilated in months down the road. And let's be honest. Can we be honest? This king is responsible. He's responsible for all of it. All of it. He's responsible. Karen Jobes writes, Esther begins the delicate and dangerous task of accusing Haman 
without incriminating the king who had, after all, sealed Haman's decree of death with his full knowledge and approval. Now, it worked when, when Nathan confronted David, right? He kind of softened him up with the story, and then David said, who is it? And Nathan said, you the man, it's you. But I don't know if it would have worked when the king said, who's responsible if Esther would have said, well, honey, it's you. Like, you're responsible. He probably doesn't take that well. So what does she do? She has to accuse Haman while at the same time being really careful because she knows the king is just as responsible. And so this king is out there maybe walking circles and the king is in a nearly impossible situation here. Can he possibly punish Haman when he is just as responsible? If he does punish Haman, is he going to have to admit his role in the whole thing? Like, is he going to have to have a time of confession? Like calling the camera crew together and apologizing to all the Persians and the Jews because he's responsible. Will his reputation be impacted? And how can he possibly rescind an irrevocable law in the Persian culture? Once that law goes forth, there's no take backs. You can't. It's out there. The people are to be killed, destroyed, and annihilated. So Haman is guilty, he's just been exposed, but the king is also guilty, and he's got to face up to this reality. So how will the king respond to this allegation? We'll get there in a minute, but first let us look at our own heart. So let's turn this on ourselves for a minute. How do you respond when you're exposed? How do you respond when your sin is exposed? And if you got kids, you know they're really good at kind of pointing that finger at you without even realizing it. You're like, oh, this just make you feel so bad about yourself. So how do you feel? Let's acknowledge two things this morning that are absolutely true. Number one, we are better at dealing with others' sins than we are dealing with our own. Let's be honest, husbands. You're much better at pointing out the sins of your wife than you are your own sins. And ladies, it's the same for you. Moms and dads, we are much better at pointing out the flaws and sins in our kids' lives than we are looking at ourselves in the mirror. So that's number one. It's much easier for us to look at our, our brothers and sisters in Christ in the church and be like, mm, can't believe they're doing that, all the while ignoring the sin in our own hearts, own hearts. And number two, we are guilty of making ourselves look better than we actually are. It's much easier for us to point out the sins of other people, and we're all guilty of making ourselves look better than we actually are. Landon Dowden writes, for some reason, we always want people to think we are better than we really are, but in fact, we are worse than they could ever think. Our human nature is to conceal our sin. It's to hide it. Why? Because if nobody knows, it's much easier to live in that sin. Men, we talked about pornography several weeks ago in our men's breakfast. Listen, if you're addicted to pornography right now, here's my guess, nobody knows about it. Now, maybe you're really brazen to say, I don't care who knows about it, you don't think it's wrong. But most of you in this room probably believe it's a sin. And if you're looking at pornography, the reality is nobody else in this room knows. Because if they know, you'd probably stop. Because you'd be embarrassed if they knew. So just like Haman tried to conceal his sin, we try to conceal our sin. But here's the reality. Here's what you must understand. You can't hide your sin from God. 
and he is the one that ultimately matters. Yes, we, we want brothers and sisters to know our sin. We want to be honest about it so they can come into our life and hold us accountable. But ultimately, God knows. And it starts with fearing the Lord. Listen to this prayer from the Valley of Vision, a book on Puritan prayers. It says, O Lord, thou knowest my great unfitness for service. You know my present deadness. You know my inability to do anything for thy glory. You know my distressing coldness of heart. Like I wonder how many of you this morning would say, you know, pastor, my heart, my heart's a little cold. I, I don't know if I'm really doing anything for his glory. I, I'm presently, I feel dead spiritually. I, if we're honest, the Lord knows that we're not better than we are, that we're worse than we actually think we are. He knows that. And yet he loves us. So we need to be a people who are quick to confess our sinfulness instead of being a people quick to conceal our sinfulness. Because the reality is every one of us in this room, we are all broken and we are all in need of Jesus. Every one of us is broken, sinful, and we are in need of Jesus. So number one, you need to begin to live a life in which you're openly confessing that sin to the Lord. And if you find yourself in a particular sin that has got a stronghold on you, my challenge to you, men, go find a brother in Christ. Ladies, go find a sister in Christ. Invite them to coffee this week or dinner or whatever and just pour out your heart to them and say, I'm tired of walking in this sin. I need somebody who's going to hold me accountable and love me and help me be more like Jesus. And ladies and men, if somebody comes to you and asks you to do it, Satan's going to be like, no, you're not, you're not able to do that. You're not qualified to do that. You can't do that. Or Satan's going to want you to sit across from them and just judge them and beat them to where they feel worse than they already do. Don't do that. Say, I'll be there. You tell me when. I'll be there. I'll listen to you. I will love you. I will pray for you. And I will encourage you and help you the best that I can. Let's do this together because our sins should not be hidden let it be out in the open. Now, I don't mean this morning in the invitation, you need to come forward and say, hey, give me a microphone. I want everybody to know my sin. That's happened sometimes in churches. That doesn't always go well. I'm not advocating that. If it gets to that point, we'll do it. But I'm advocating go find somebody that you can confess it to and you can begin to walk with them through this. All right, lastly, let's turn to Haman. Haman, verse 8. So Haman stays to beg for his life, that's verse 7, from Queen Esther, for he saw that harm was determined against him by the king. And the king returned from the palace garden to the place where they were drinking wine as Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was. And the king said, will he even assault the queen in my presence in my own house? As the word left the mouth of the king, they covered Haman's face. So while the king takes a hike, Haman stays to beg for his life. This is a critical mistake. For a couple reasons, if you understand Persian culture, particularly if you understand harem culture, right? The harem was they would bring all these women and they would live in this, this place and they were there for the king's pleasure. So harem protocol dictated that the only person that could be alone with a woman from the harem was the king. No other man should be alone with a woman from the harem. So the minute the king walks out, Haman should have been like, come right behind you, king. He probably didn't want to go face the king, but he definitely shouldn't have stayed there. That was against harem protocol. But there's something else that he does. Other protocol dictated that a man was not to approach a woman of the king's harem within seven steps 
even if the king was present. So Haman should have left, number one. Number two is he never should have approached Esther on the couch. Never should have done it. That was no, no, number two. So he makes two critical mistakes. And the author tells us he falls on the couch, probably just falling down to plead for her mercy. The king walks in, he sees this, and he's angry. He's like, he's done with Haman. So, question, do I believe the king really thought Haman was trying to physically assault Esther? Probably not. Was Haman trying to physically assault Esther? I don't believe so at all. But you know what? The king didn't care. He didn't have to believe it was true. The king needed a scapegoat. Remember, he's out there in an impossible situation. How's he possibly going to save face? He comes back in. There's Haman falling down on the couch. Oh, what do I see? He's assaulting my wife. We'll take care of him. Dilemma solved. So it doesn't matter what really happened there. The king saw what he wanted to see. And so it says they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs in attendance on the king, said, Moreover, the gallows that Haman has prepared for Mordecai, whose word saved the king, is standing at Haman's house, 50 cubits high. And the king said, Hang him on that. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the wrath of the king abated. The gallows built for Mordecai by Haman will now be used to kill Haman instead. That is irony of ironies. So Haman, as you get to the end of chapter 7, the enemy is dead. And everybody rejoices. Except they don't. Because there is still this edict that is out there hanging over all the Jews' heads. An edict that is irrevocable. So the rest of the story is going to be playing out how in the world the Jews can actually be spared, though the enemy is dead, how they can be spared though there is still this edict written over their heads. But here's how I want to close over the next couple minutes. I want you to go back to the scriptures, and I want you to look at verse 7 of Esther chapter 7. And the king arose in his, the ESV says, wrath. The king arose in his wrath. And then the last part of verse 10 says, then the wrath of the king abated. Haman is killed. And the author tells us the wrath of the king is abated. Now listen very carefully. This is so important. All of Haman's wealth and all of his power couldn't rescue him from the hands of the king right here. Couldn't rescue him from death. And when Haman dies, the king is pleased and his wrath subsided. It went away. His wrath was dealt with in Haman. I don't know where your mind goes when you read that verse, but I'm going to tell you where my mind goes. My mind goes to the cross of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen, we have all sinned. For all have sinned. Everyone in this room, you have sinned. And therefore, everyone in this room, you deserve death. No amount of wealth, no amount of power, no amount of fame, no amount of works 
can rescue you from a physical death, can rescue you from a spiritual death, and can rescue you from eternal death separated from the presence of God. Nothing you can do can rescue you from the wrath that you deserve. Ephesians 2.1 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Chapter 2, verse 3 of Ephesians says, You were by nature children of wrath. When you look at this story, who do you see yourself as? Let me tell you who every single one of us is. We're all Haman. We are all wicked like Haman. We are all disobedient and sentenced to death under the wrath of a king like Haman. Now you say, wait a minute, pastor. I have never issued a decree or an edict that millions of people of one race would be killed. No, you haven't done that. Thank the Lord. But you're just as capable as he is. So how dare you say that? Look, I know what the Bible says about all of our hearts. But by the grace of God, so go I. But by the grace of God, we would all be adulterers and murderers and the worst of the worst. You're not as bad as you are because of you. You're not as bad as you could be by the grace of God. Thankfully, he's rescued and saved the majority of us. We've given our life to him. You and I are like Haman. But thank God that our king is nothing like King Ahasuerus. Amen. Our king is nothing like him. For Ephesians 2 verse 4 says, But God, our king, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says, And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. A day of wrath is coming in which God will pour out his wrath upon all who rejected him. Rejected him. King Ahasuerus poured out his wrath on Haman. God the Father has poured out his wrath on his son, Jesus Christ. God's wrath has been met and satisfied in Jesus. Your sins, as Peter says in that sermon, have been paid for. So this morning, you can receive the forgiveness of sins. You can receive deliverance from your sin. Ian God writes, And if God's fury has been poured out in full upon Christ, now there is none left for us. If our debt has been paid in full, now we are free to go. What is more, we are free to come into the king's presence as a, belo as a dearly beloved son or a precious daughter, welcomed for Christ's sake. That is good news, brothers and sisters. Not only in Christ have you been delivered from the wrath of God, you have now been brought in as sons and daughters of the Most High King. Amen? So what God has done for us in Jesus, that's good news. But hear me, hear me, hear me. That good news is found only in Jesus Christ. It is found only in Jesus Christ. In this chapter, Esther finally identifies herself with the people of God. And God, by his grace, will spare her. The Bible tells us for us to be delivered from the wrath of God, we must identify ourselves with Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 says, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. 
This morning, either you will remain in Adam, you will reject Jesus, and the wrath of God is waiting to be poured out on you, or you will come to Jesus, you will repent of your sins, you will turn from those sins, you will profess his name, confess his name to be King of kings and Lord of lords, Savior of your life, the Son of God, you will throw yourself upon his mercy seat, and you will be saved. It's your choice. In Peter, 1 Peter, he speaks of God's patience. Let me give you some good news. God is a patient God. God is a God of long suffering toward us and toward our sin. Now the world, and maybe you, take that and misinterpret it to mean, well, God is patient, meaning he's not going to judge me. I mean, look at all the sins I've committed. He hadn't judged me yet. He hasn't poured out his wrath on me yet. And so you think God's long suffering and patience means you can live however you want and he's never going to judge you. But the truth is God's long suffering is an opportunity not for you to continue to live in your sin, but to repent of your sin. It's to believe on the name of Jesus. It is to identify with Jesus. And so he's patient with you giving you another opportunity, if you have never done so, to believe upon his son, Jesus Christ, right now. Because in Christ, we are delivered from God's wrath. But apart from Christ, his wrath, his judgment will be poured out upon us because he is the judge of the living and the dead. As we close, consider the prodigal son. Just a reminder, both of those sons, neither one of them are like perfect, wonderful sons. They both get it wrong. The other son and his response to when his brother comes home, they both get it wrong. But consider the son that leaves. Consider how the father welcomed the prodigal son home. Why did he welcome him home? It wasn't because he was innocent. It wasn't, well, you had done nothing wrong. Come back into my home. Why did he welcome home his son who abandoned him and squandered all the inheritance? Why? Because he was loved. That's why. The father loved the son, and he welcomed him home. Today, hear me, you are not innocent. Every one of us in this room, we are guilty, 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 and your guilt condemns you. But hear me, you are loved by the God of this world. You are loved by the Creator. And that Creator says if you come to his son, Jesus Christ, there will not only be forgiveness, but if Christ is written over you, Romans 8 says, therefore there is now no condemnation written over your life. All because Jesus took the wrath of God. So hear me, come home to Jesus. Will you come to Jesus right now? Will you be forgiven? Will you be cleansed? Will you be made new? you've never given your life to Jesus, give your life to Jesus today. Brothers and sisters, if you are walking in sin, understand that Jesus bore the wrath of God, not so that you could continue to live in that sin, but so that you would be saved from that sin. So stop walking in your sin. Confess it, find a brother or sister in Christ, and let them begin to walk alongside of you. And the very God who poured out his wrath upon Jesus has brought you in as sons and daughters and he is calling you to live on mission for him. To be bold, to be strong, to be courageous. To take a stand for the gospel. To live for his son and his glory. 
So what is he calling you to do? Will you step out in faith and say, Lord Jesus, I'm going to follow you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the story of Esther. Lord, it, it is challenging. And I know the main point of this story is not to, how can we be an example? How can Esther be an example? But ultimately, God, I think it's to point to you and your glory and to point to Jesus, our, our Savior, Son of God. But Father, we can learn some things along the way. So, Father, I pray that you spoke to, to hearts, that you convicted hearts, that those who were convicted, Father, you will begin to heal their hearts and heal their brokenness as they begin to walk in obedience with you. Father, you ask us to step out in faith, and when we step out in faith, oh, Lord, remind us of your promises, your presence, and your power. You will enable us to do what you call us to do. And if anyone this morning is not walking in obedience, whether they're in this room or watching online, Lord, bring them to a place of repentance and of confession as they run back to you, knowing that they will be met by a loving Heavenly Father who will transform their lives so drastically if they would just come and give their heart and life to Him. Lord, work in our hearts as we sing this song. Bring your people to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to worship together. As always, you can come and pray. I'm available at the front. Let's worship together.
seated. All right, let me present a couple people to you. Miss Gloria, if you'll come first. This is Miss Gloria Watkins. She came up to me uh, the, right as we started singing and she said, I'm ready. She said, I'm ready. So uh, Miss Gloria is a believer in Jesus Christ, follows him and follows him in believer's baptism. And she's a member at First Baptist Henderson, is that right? In North Carolina. And so she is coming uh, by letter from them to join uh, Northside and what God is doing here. So if you rejoice in that decision, will you let her know that? <laughs> Praise the Lord. So let me just share something really quick. So Ms. Gloria moved here. She didn't know a lot of people. I mean, she does have a, a daughter and son in the area. And if you don't know who they are, they're up here, Ms. Gina and Gavin. So she had family in the area, but she didn't have anybody in the church family. So one thing I've seen in talking to her is how some of you ladies have just come alongside of her and brought her in and made her feel at home. And that's a huge part in her coming to join Northside. So if that's one of you, thank you, because that's what it looks like to be the church. And so I know she's home and she's glad to be here. So will you rejoice with her one more time? Okay, you can be Miss Seedham, Miss Gloria. All right, the other couple of y'all will come forward. Coming from the other side. Sneaky, sneaky. So this is Michael and Jennifer, yeah, Stewart, and their family. You want, yeah. <laughs> so we got, this is Hudson right here. You go by Addie. Is that what this is? Addie. All right. Asa down there, and then John Mark up here. Can you say hi? You don't, you're not, y'all, you're not going to be shy. <laughs> you're not going to be shy. So, um... Michael and Jennifer and Hudson as well. He is a believer in Jesus Christ and has followed him in baptism. Uh, they're coming to join with us at Northside and uh, what God is doing here um, from Open Door Baptist Church. Um, is that considered Sharpsburg? Sonoy. Um, so they have an incredible story. And at some point, you're going to get to hear their story, I hope, over the next month. Um, so I'm not going to go into a lot of details. But Michael is a pastor, uh, bivocational pastor. I was pastoring a church for how many years were you there? Almost seven. Almost seven years. Um, and through God just working in his heart, some theological, doctrinal, practical things um, just felt the Lord leading them to step out of that ministry. It's been a difficult transition for them. You will hear that when you hear their story. Uh, their situation is unique because he still has a desire to pastor. So my vision is as long as they're here that we love on them and encourage them and wrap our arms around them. And eventually, if the Lord wills, we'll send them out and he'll begin to pastor again. But right now, they believe this is where they are to be. They want to pour in here and they're going to allow us to pour into them. And so if you rejoice with them, will you let them know that? 
All right, you guys can go have a seat. Very thankful for them, sweet family. So here's what I want you to do. Before you go eat, before you leave, they're kind of in the same area. Miss Gloria's here, and they're over there. If you'll just come by, shake a hand, hug a neck if they're all right with that, and just rejoice in what the Lord um, is doing. Uh, both of these, Miss Gloria and that family, is going to be instrumental um, in, what, in, in what the Lord is doing here and the work that he's doing here. And so we rejoice. And maybe you're thinking about joining. You've been praying about joining. You're uncertain about that. I would love to have a conversation with you uh, to encourage you and pray with you. Um, and can we just give God the glory one more time for what he's doing? All right, just some announcements. We do have our membership class next Sunday during Sunday school. It'll be right here in the fellowship hall. You can come in a few minutes early. We'll have food for you. Um, my wife, yeah, we have to have food. Just, just a reminder, Ryan. We'll have food for you, um, and it, we'll just go over some basic things, what we believe the Bible says, what we expect of you as members. Um, it takes during the Sunday school hour, so we got that. Um, but if you're going to come, please sign up. We want to make sure we have the right amount of food. Fall Festival, it's two months away, but it'll be here before you know it. We got tags in a sign-up sheet out at the Connect Board. If you grab some of those tags to bring some of those items, you can bring them back, sign up to help. We had a lot of kiddos last year, had to do it inside, uh, had to improvise in that, but it went really well, and so we pray we'll have another great turnout and a chance just to share uh, the gospel with people. Uh, there's a lot of other announcements in the bulletin. I want to encourage you to pay attention to those. And just a reminder, we have no evening services tonight because of Labor Day. So spend the afternoon with family if you can. Uh, get some rest. Just worship the Lord Jesus in your life. And let's give him all the glory. Mr. Paul is the deacon of the week, so he's going to come uh, close us with prayer. So if you'll stand and don't forget to come love on these two families before you leave. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for bringing these folks today. Uh, thank you for the Stewart family and, uh, and even my mother-in-law, Gloria. Thank you for bringing her to our church. Uh, it's so great to have, have her down here. Lord, I uh, also want to lift up uh, Curtis and Ann on their 63rd anniversary. Uh, it was today. We hope they'll be here again next Sunday. And uh, just be with Ann as she uh, recovers. In Jesus' name we pray.